Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you got a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to go through a lot of scripture in this message because we are talking about the first step in a walk of wisdom. And there's one verse of scripture, there are several, but I'm going to show you one verse at the very beginning. The title of this message is, Where Wisdom Begins. We cannot talk about a life of wisdom if we don't cover step number one. You cannot skip step number one and have wisdom that only God can give. So let me read you the verse. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, when some of us hear this term, fear of the Lord, our minds may go in a, in a variety of directions. Maybe you haven't been in church uh, very long. Maybe you just came to an understanding of who God is, or maybe you just gave your life to Christ. And when you hear the term fear of the Lord, it sounds scary, it sounds negative, it sounds bad. What you're going to see in this message, nothing could be further from the truth. But you have to understand, before we even talk about what the fear of God is, it's not just a brand of shoe, okay? It is something that is essential to every part of your life, not just wisdom. You're going to see scripturally that the fear of the Lord is essential to your walk with Christ. Now, I want to show you a couple of passages about the essential nature of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is essential to the nation of Israel. Moses in Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. We think about all those other things on the list, but I I think oftentimes we forget how important the fear of the Lord is In a list like that, what does God require of us? Moses says, hey, first thing, fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is essential to the nation of Israel, but not just to the nation of Israel, also to the capital C church, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. The church multiplied because they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But the fear of the Lord isn't just essential for Israel or the capital C church. It's also essential for this church, Gateway Church. The, the first scripture when Pastor Robert, who's the founder of Gateway in Dallas, when he was starting it and praying about the name, he felt like God gave him Genesis chapter 28, a passage of scripture that is very important to our church. And I want you to see The fear of the Lord, right smack dab in the middle of Genesis 28, verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. But he was also afraid, Yerah, and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Okay, you see in this passage right here, he was afraid. But then his verbiage that he uses, it isn't that of a scared man. It's actually that of an excited man. 
The Bible says he was afraid, and then the first words out of his mouth are, "Mouth is this. This place is amazing. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know. Okay, that doesn't sound like somebody who's a scaredy cat. You have to understand, the fear of the Lord may not be what you think it is, but I promise you this, it's essential to our church. It is part of the foundation of this church. But let's go even further. It's also essential to the world. Psalm 33, verse 8, let all the earth, let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. This one verse, Psalm 33, verse 8, sets us up to really have a proper definition of the fear of the Lord. So let's answer a couple of questions together. Here is question number one. What is the fear of the Lord? What is it? If you've got your notes, you can fill in the blank on this first one. Fear of the Lord is a reverential awe that causes you to draw nearer to God rather than a scary fear which causes you to run away from God. Martin Luther, many years ago, had a a great teaching that helps us understand that there, there are basically two perspectives of the fear of God. One he called servile fear. The other he called filial fear. Servile fear is the perspective of the fear of God and of God that a slave has of their master who is not benevolent, who is mean, who punishes for no reason, who is always looking to to strike. Servile fear is the kind of fear that a servant has for a bad master. I think a lot of believers, maybe without even realizing it, kind of have this walk on eggshells, servile fear that God is always waiting to strike you with lightning. But then he also taught that there was another perspective of the fear of God, and it was called filial fear, which comes from the Latin perspective of family. And he said this. He said filial fear fear is like a son who adores his parents. And because he adores his parents, his parents are are the two people on this earth that he wants most to be pleased with his behavior. And because he adores and loves his parents the way he does, he has a fear, a healthy fear of offending them that causes causes him to respect them. And because he doesn't want them to be displeased, it also changes the way that son walks with them. Think about this, because you might be thinking, I I don't see how fear can be a good thing. Oh, yes, it can. Let me ask you a question. Do you love money? I'll I'll say it another way, because some of you are going scriptural on me. Do you like money? (laughs) Okay. Of course, you like money. But how come you don't all rob banks? You said you like money. I'll just pray, dismiss right now, and let's all go rob a bank. Don't cut that out and put it on YouTube. Just that one phrase right there. That'll give me a lot of trouble. (laughs) Think about it. Why don't you rob a bank? Because you have a healthy fear of what will happen if you do. Fear can be a very healthy thing. And you're going to see with a bunch of scriptures that the fear of God isn't just essential. It is a really good thing for all of us. Now, The easiest way to understand the fear of God is to kind of take view of fire. Fire 
has basically two sides. Fire can destroy, fire can also deliver, right? Have you ever seen fire destroy a home completely? It's dangerous, right? That's the dangerous side of fire. Yes, fire destroys, but also fire delivers. Think about what fire delivers. It delivers heat in the cold, right? It delivers light in the dark. It delivers s'mores around the campfire. And everybody who loves double chocolate s'mores said amen in the house of the Lord. I mean, if the plane's going to go down, it might as well go down with twice as much chocolate. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Fire can destroy. Fire can also deliver. Let me show you one scripture that's really important so that you understand why we're talking about fire within the context of the fear of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Aren't you glad this kingdom of our gods and ours cannot be shaken no matter what's going on in the world? Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus, or therefore, let us offer to God acceptable worship. What is acceptable worship? Worship with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. What does it mean that God is a consuming fire? Yes, there are moments in Scripture where God sends fire to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. There are plenty of moments where God sends fire and it's a bad thing. But there are also moments in Scripture where we see not the destructive side of fire, but the consuming side of fire. And probably one of the best recorded instances of this is Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bible and your turn there, let's read it together. This is the story of Moses and the burning bush. Let's start in verse 1. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock out into the middle of the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Okay, he wasn't scared, scared. He was in awe. He stared at the bush in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames. Hit the pause button. Okay, take off your Sunday school hat for a moment. Because some of us, we've heard this story since we were little kids. And so when we think about the burning bush, we think about kind of a little flickering flame. You know, like it just kind of had trouble starting like, like the grill does, you know. No, no, no. This bush was engulfed. Think about what engulfment looks like, what it sounds like. Have you ever heard the sound of a roaring fire? This bush was engulfed in flames and it didn't burn up. This is amazing. Listen to his verbiage. Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. That's an important statement right there. Remember, we established that the fear of the Lord is a reverential awe that causes you to draw nearer to God, not run away from God. Moses wasn't just intrigued and amazed. He was drawn to what was happening in this bush. And look at God's response in verse 4. As he's drawn to it, then, then and only then, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moshe, Moshe, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. So he, he, 
speaks to him when he sees him coming towards him, but then draws a line and says, don't, don't come any closer than this, Moses. The Lord warned, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Here's another way to say that. I, I kind of imagine it going like this. Moses is walking towards this bush and he's enamored with it. And he wants to see what's going on and God stops him and he says, hey, hey, take your sandals off because any ground I am standing on is not normal ground. It's holy ground. Okay, God's not trying to scare Moses to get him to run away. Keep going. Take your sandals off for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father. He's speaking in familial terms. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Be careful how you look at the word afraid. Because some of us have an unhealthy fear of God that causes us to run from him. Moses wasn't that kind of afraid. Listen, here's another way to say it. A healthy fear of God does not fill you with worry. A healthy fear of God causes you to fall in worship. This is what's happening with Moses. It's a holy moment. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, and uh, I heard a phrase all the time as a teenager. I would hear people say this. Oh, that, that kid, that student is on fire for God. They are on fire for God. It, it sounds kind of weird if you don't know what they're talking about, but as a believer, you know what they're talking about. I don't think they ever said that about me when I was a teenager, but I heard them say that about a lot of other people. They are on fire for God. We are called to be on fire for God. I'll show it to you in Scripture, Romans 12, 11. Never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive. Serve the Lord. But here's the catch. It's impossible to be on fire for God without a healthy fear of God. A healthy fear of God is what keeps the fire fanning into flame. Here's the second big question. What's the result of not having it? What's the result of not having the fear of the Lord? I'm going to give you two things. And, and here's the first one, and I'll kind of explain it. Inappropriate comfort. Inappropriate comfort. Here's another way to say it. Disrespectful casualness. Disrespectful casualness. When, when a person doesn't have a healthy fear of the Lord, there's a disrespectful, inappropriate, casual nature between the two people. Here's the one-liner if you're filling in the blanks in your notes. God is not your homeboy. You've seen those t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. I, I get the sentiment. God is not my homeboy. God is sovereign, I am not. Okay? He's my father and he loves me, but he's not my homeboy. Let me help you try and under, understand this. Think about it. When you're close friends with somebody, we kind of tend to think the closer we are to them, the less formal we have to be in relationship, right? For instance, some of us got married, and when we were dating our spouses, we never ever passed gas. And then once we got married, you are lighting her up like a Christmas tree in bed every night. 
let me, let me just go on record. You can ask my wife. Never once have I done that in her presence in over 20 years of being together. I have had stomach aches. And here's why. Because I don't ever want to have a disrespectful casualness with the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, not named Jesus. Let's think about it like this. Because we all kind of are guilty of this. The closer we are to someone, the more casual or the less formal we get with them. But let's just think about how that would work. Let's just say you were best friends with the President of the United States. Don't get all political on me right now. Just use it as an example, okay? Would it work if you just barged through the West Wing and into the Oval Office and went, what's up, Donnie? How's it going? Secret Service would drag you out of that White House so fast, it didn't matter how long you have known the president. Why? It's a disrespectful and inappropriate casualness. Okay, think about this. I wonder how many times we're guilty of that with God. Where we go into our, our quiet time with him and it's kind of like, hey, what's up? I really need some stuff today. Hook it up if you don't mind. <laughs> I got to go to work. See you when I see you. <laughs> you know, I'm just playing, but you get my point. I am not saying that we have to go into the presence of the Lord with a spiritual tuxedo on. But having said that, I am saying it is not healthy to go into the presence of the Lord with an inappropriate casualness, like God is my homeboy and not the God of the universe who created all things. Now, if you're in Exodus 3, flip to Leviticus chapter 10, and I'm going to show you a little bit of a scary story about two men, Nadab and Abihu, the first and second born sons of Aaron, the high priest in the days of Moses. And I want to show you what happens, what it looks like when there's a, a, an inappropriate casualness because we don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. Leviticus 10, starting in verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective censers, fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire or unauthorized fire before the Lord, which God had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored or glorified. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Here's what's crazy. Nadab and Abihu were, were the future successors of Aaron, the high priest. Like they were this close. They were next in line. And yet they took matters into their own hands. And I just wonder, I mean, I'll, I'll just walk you through a few of the mistakes they made. A few wrong moves they made. Here's the first one. They were the wrong person. The high priest was the only one allowed to do that. And I wonder if there was an inappropriate casualness between them and Aaron, not just between them and God. I wonder if they looked at their dad and said, I've seen him make mistakes at home. I mean, if he can offer fire and incense to the Lord, so can we. We're next in line. I wonder if they didn't think a little bit like that. They were the wrong person. That was part of their mistake. It was also the wrong instrument. The Bible says they took their own censer rather than the high priest's censer. So they got it wrong there. They made multiple steps. It was also the wrong fire. The, the fire that was brought by the high priest was supposed to come from the coals off the brazen altar. 
but they brought their own fire. Uh, And the next two are kind of speculative, but probably not far from the truth. They also, I think, had a wrong motive. Moses addresses this. He says, Aaron, this is exactly what God said. He said, by those who come near him, he will be treated as holy and he is the only one who gets the glory. The implication there, Moses is saying, they were trying to get glory that is only reserved for the God of the universe. But I'll give you another one. They may have even gone in with the wrong spirit. After this part of scripture, this story is wrapped up the very next verses. Moses is establishing rules for the priest And he says, listen, the priests cannot drink alcohol before they come in to serve in the house of the Lord. Many theologians believe that Nadab and Abihu were drunk when they came in and offered unauthorized fire to the Lord. Okay, now am I threatening you that if you don't do everything the way God said to do, he's going to cause fire to come down and burn you up in the middle of worship service? No, not at all. I'm trying to help you understand how dangerous, though, it is to have an inappropriate, disrespectful casualness with God. You know what's interesting as well? You know what the name Nadab means? Liberal. Again, do not go political on me right now. The word liberal means to hold too loosely to something. So it can be a good thing or a bad thing. A liberal giver is generous. They hold loosely to their money and help those around them with it. They hold loosely to it. But on the negative side, liberal theology literally means one who holds too loosely to doctrine. We have a lot of this going around right now. It's as though there are believers in the body of Christ kind of making up the rules That only comes from an inappropriate casualness. But here's the second thing that ties into this. There's also a misapplied freedom that takes place. When we don't have a healthy fear of God, we misapply freedom. Here's what happens when I'll be in counseling with somebody and and they're walking in sin and and in love, I will represent the Lord and, and point out the error of their ways, in love, of course. And here's a phrase I'll hear from time to time. Well, I'm free in Christ Jesus. I am free in Christ. <laughs> and from time to time, if I'm being a little honorary, I'm not gonna lie, I've wanted to say, free to do what? Free to do that? Free to sin? We're not free in Christ to sin. I'll read it to you in Scripture, 1 Peter 2:16, for you are free, yet you are God's slave, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Misapplied freedom. When when we don't have a healthy fear of God. We misapply the freedom we have in Christ. Okay, so if the first subpoint, the one-liner was God is not your homeboy, here's the one-liner for this subpoint: God is not your grandfather. God is not your grandfather. Let me explain. How many of us grew up with at least one set of grandparents who were like awesome heroes and the reason they were awesome heroes is because when you were younger they let you do things at their house you weren't allowed to do at your parents house you know what I'm saying like instead of having to eat vegetables at your house for dinner you go to grandma's house and what does she do she's serving up bluebell ice cream for dinner and you're like yes God (laughs) why because they're not punishing I honestly think the running joke with grandparents is like we're just paying our kids back 
hopping them up on sugar and not disciplining them, sending them home to be disciplined by their parents simply because of all the junk our kids put us through. We're just paying you back. That's all grandparents are doing. Okay, think about it. When you were younger, did you ever think when you were getting away with something at your grandparents' house because they didn't punish you when you did something you knew you weren't supposed to do that you would never do in your father's house? And you thought, ah, they're okay with my behavior. Some of us look at God that way, like he's our grandfather and say, he hasn't spanked me, so he must be all right with what I'm doing. No, God is not your grandfather. He is not accepting bad behavior when you don't see him punish you yet, okay? When we don't have a fear of the Lord, we muddy up the waters and we just think, oh, he's like my grandpa. He's cool with it. We have a lot of this going on in the church and it's not okay. Now, as we get to, to question number three, before I give you the benefits, and the question is, what are the benefits of having the fear of the Lord? Before I give you this list, let me remind you that a good parent incentivizes good behavior, right? Think about it. When our children are young and we're teaching them values, family values, we tell them what they are, we teach them why we live according to these values that God has given them to us, and then what do we do? We reward them if they walk out those behaviors, right? Go even further. The more important the value is, the more we reward them when they do it, right? Okay. Remember that as I read through this list of God's responses to your fear of him. Let me just show you a few. This isn't even an exhaustive list. I'm just going to read through these. Here's the first one. A satisfying life. A satisfying life. Nobody wants that, right? We all want to be miserable and unsatisfied. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. So that no one may sleep, so that one may sleep satisfied untouched by evil. You want some of that action? I do. I want to sleep well and be untouched by evil. It leads to life, a satisfying life. How about this? A prolonged life. Proverbs 10, 27, fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. How about this tandem, healing and refreshment? Proverbs 3, 7, and 8, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It, the fear of the Lord, will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. How about this one? One great benefit is you will sin less. Not be sinless, you will sin less with a healthy fear of the Lord. Exodus 2.20, Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. We all know what this is like when we have a healthy fear of God and we're walking towards something we know we shouldn't be doing. We hear that little voice in our heads, in our hearts that says, don't do that. And here's what happens when I have a healthy fear of the Lord. When I hear that voice, I immediately turn from the wrongdoing I was walking towards. Okay? And what happens as a result of that? I'm not sinless, but I sin far less simply because I have a healthy fear of God. Remember, what does that mean? It's just a son or a daughter 
who so wants to please, not with a works mentality, but so wants their father to be pleased that when they see wrongdoing, they quickly turn from it rather than continuing to walk towards it. How about this one? Friendship with God. I'm sure nobody wants to be a, an intimate friend with God, but if you do, Psalm 25, 14 is just for you. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. An essential part of an intimate relationship with God is a healthy fear of God. How about this one? Divine pleasure. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. Divine protection is another benefit. Psalm 33, 18 and 19. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them, those who fear the Lord, from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. Take protection even further. Generational protection is a benefit to those who fear the Lord. Proverbs 14, 26. Those who fear the Lord are secure. He will also be a refuge for their children. How about them apples? Here's, here's one more. Divine provision. I know nobody in this room or watching online wants any of that. Divine provision. Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Here's what the God of the universe, your heavenly father, is saying to you. Here's how important it is to have a healthy fear of God. Those who have it will have no lack. Think about it from a daddy's perspective. He's saying, Preston, this is how important this is to me. When you do this, this is my reward. This is my response. This is how important it is to me. I will give you all of these things, but I need you to walk in a healthy fear of me. Not the kind of fear that causes you to run away from me, Preston, and be afraid of me, but the kind of fear that causes you to draw near to me and be in awe of me. See, a healthy fear of God doesn't cause you to be afraid of God. It causes you to be more aware of God and in awe of God. That leads us to the last question. How do I know I have it? How does one know they have a healthy fear of God? Well, before I give you the two things I, I want to give you, let me just say, one of the ways you know you have a healthy fear of God is you do not have an unhealthy fear of man. When I have an unhealthy fear of man, it is evidence I do not have a healthy fear of God. King David had a very healthy fear of God most of the time. I think about it. He's coming home, worshiping one day, and his wife looks at him and says, you look like an idiot. You look like a fool in front of all these people. What does David say? Listen, cupcake, I'll get even more undignified than this. You ain't seen nothing yet. What is he doing? He's not just saying I'm a worshiper. He's saying I have a healthy fear of God. What that means is I'm not afraid of what you think of me. It's okay. When you have a healthy fear of God, you don't have an unhealthy fear of man. But let me give you two really important things that we must see in our lives and will see in our lives when we have a healthy fear of God. Here's the first one. Awful worship. Not awful worship. 
okay? Because we all know, don't look at the person next to you because you, you'll be outing them, but we all have sat next to that person in church that thought they had an amazing shower voice, and they come into the house of the Lord, and they are letting that shower voice rip, and without knowing it, they are writing harmonies that don't even exist and are actually creating disunity in the church, but they're just letting it rip. I'm not talking about awful worship. I'm talking about awe-filled worship. Psalm 2, verse 11, worship the Lord with reverence. Remember, fear of the Lord is a reverential awe. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. What does that look like? Are we supposed to worship with shaky knees because we're afraid if we don't worship well, he's going to strike us dead with fire? No, 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 no. Let me attempt to paint a picture of what worshiping and reverential awe looks like. When you think about the fact that the universe, this massive expanse of space called the universe, within it contains this massive yet much smaller thing called a galaxy, ours being the Milky Way galaxy. And within this galaxy is something even smaller called a solar system. And within this solar system, there's even something smaller called the Earth. And within the Earth, there is this smaller thing called the city of Scottsdale. And within the city of Scottsdale, there is this very, very small thing called you. Now, understand something. The fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord, doesn't cause you to look inwardly and say, I am so small. A healthy fear of God causes you to look up and say, oh my word, you are so big. When you realize that God says of himself, I measure all of that, Preston, that you just mentioned by these two fingers of mine. I have weighed out and measured the waters of the earth in the palm of my hand. Awe-filled worship is that like a child, a small child that looks up at a heroic father and says, you are so, so big. When we worship, are we just checking a box? Or are we ascribing to him that which he and he alone is due? When we are, it's coming from a place the fear of God doesn't make you afraid it causes you to stand in awe of him here's the second really big thing that when you see this in your life you know you have a healthy fear of God awe-full obedience awe-filled obedience Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 sometime later God tested Abraham's faith Abraham, God called. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Abraham, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, the next morning, the last words we just read, God tells Abraham, I want you to kill your son. The Bible records the next morning. Abraham got up early. He didn't even sleep in. He got up earlier than normal. 
God gave him this seemingly ridiculous command. And Abraham's obedience was so extravagant that he got up early the next morning and he took his son Isaac, play the story out even further, walks Isaac up with the wood to kill him, gets to the top of the mountain, builds the altar, lays his son, the son of the promise, on top of the altar, lifts up the dagger to thrust into his son's chest. And as he's making the move down, the angel of the Lord says, stop, stop. And what does the angel say next? Not you're crazy. Not what are you doing? The angel says, stop, for now I know you fear the Lord. Father Abraham, the beginning, the beginning of our spiritual legacy and the most impacting moment of his life is not just about obedience. You got to dig deeper than that. It's about a healthy fear of the Lord. When you walk in a healthy fear of God, your worship is filled with awe, not box checking, and your obedience is immediate and extravagant. Why? Because he's worth it all. And without a healthy fear of God, here's what happens in life. You think far too much about you and not nearly enough about him. And the more I think about him, the better my life gets. The more I think about me, the worse my life gets. Listen to me. I'm not trying to teach a woe is me, I'm horrible, I'm awful kind of theology. Yes, I am. Those statements are all true. But God, who is rich in mercy and grace, sent his son Jesus to die for me, to die for you. The least I can do for the rest of my days and for all eternity is to fall in awe and to worship the God of the universe and do everything he asks me to do. He is worthy of it all. The starting point for not just wisdom, but a rich, intimate relationship with God is the, a healthy fear of God. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.